Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. In fact, it's not just any old week, it's back to school week here in Wisconsin and we're going to have a special back to school podcast and we have our full panel, although they are not all here in the office with us. On the road is uh, well, actually at home is Jen Epps Addison. Jen is the executive director at Wisconsin Jobs Now. Jen, thanks for joining us. Good morning, everyone. And yes, back to school is also known as parent vacation day, the day <laughs> every parent looks forward to after the two and a half months of summer. <laughs> we will definitely talk more about that, Jen. And uh, also on the phone is Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action. He is traveling on his way to lacrosse. Robert? Good morning on the way to La Crosse, Eau Claire, Hudson, and Superior. Full left coast visit of Wisconsin for Robert. And here in the office, we have Jorna Taylor. Jorna is a political consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna? I prefer to call it a studio. It's, that's right. Good here morning, at the Wisconsin. Battleground Wisconsin podcast studio. <laughs> um, so, Jen, you and I have uh, both got kids, and so it's back to school. I, I must say, my son Gabe has been back now. He's in his third week, but Ezra starts next week, and uh, I know your your kids are headed back to school, correct? Yeah, they start next week as well, although um, I am a bad parent and actually screwed up the start date because I thought it was after Labor Day, so my kids <laughs> will miss the first week of school, but we've already got their homework, so... We're going to be in Texas during the first week of school, so my kids get a little extra vacation. Wow. Well, that's that's excellent. Well, you know, I believe anyways, uh, the uh, the folks who, who do the uh, travel industry here in the state attempted to try to make it so all schools had to start after Labor Day, if I'm correct. But uh, anyways, uh, so it is... Have a Scott Walker change, Matt? Do you know <laughs> if that was a Scott Walker change? Because I actually could swear that that was a law or a rule here in Wisconsin. Yeah, I... I think it was one of the only things the Democratic legislature and governor together accomplished. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. But, yeah, anyways, extending so that uh, folks could, uh, the, the travel industry could count on holiday all the way through through uh, Labor Day. And as we know, it is the second largest industry in the state. So, anyways, well, that being said, we are going to spend some time on this back-to-school uh, podcast talking about educators. And in particular, I want to spend some time talking about the educator shortage. Uh, There has been a lot of news that has uh, come out with uh, everyone heading back to school over the last couple weeks about a spreading and growing teacher shortage here in Wisconsin. This is a national problem, so we don't want to just say that it is only Wisconsin. Uh, There's been a lot written nationally about the teacher shortage, but it is particularly acute here in Wisconsin. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, Some some new research came out this week that found that there are nearly 3,000 less educators in Wisconsin over the last nine years. Jorna, I know... um, you know, you've you've had a chance to look at some of this. Uh, your initial thoughts on on this shortage is this something that is cyclical, or do you really? I mean, obviously, Act Ten. I assume. Uh, what your thoughts? Sure. Well, I I don't think it's necessarily cyclical. I think it's symptomatic, um, if anything, of our 
increasingly um, lackadaisical opinion <laughs> of what teachers do and how they're actually shaping our future. We underpay them. We don't provide them with benefits anymore at the level that they should be paid, especially here in Wisconsin, thanks to Act 10. We try and destroy their unions. We blame them for everything under the sun. And again, we don't pay them well to educate the future. And so why in the world would anybody want to go into the teaching profession? I, you know, I certainly wouldn't. These are long days. Just because they, quote, have summers off is absolutely ridiculous because you all know, I mean, Matt, you're married to a former teacher. Yep. <laughs> um, you all know the kind of time and energy and work that gets put into this job because these are the youth. These are the problems that they take home with them every day. And teachers do this because they care. And why should they put their heart and soul into making you know less than minimum wage, frankly, every day? So it's important to point out that while this report found that we are nearly 3,000 teachers less, we had an increase in enrollment. So we're seeing increasing teacher-student ratios throughout the state. And this is not just one district or another. Um, it is across the state. Um, one other thing that I want to add before we go to more comment, comment on this is the other issue is, so we're talking about not only teachers leaving, but we're, we're seeing that there are less teachers that are actually coming into the system. We're finding anywhere from 15 to 20 some percent less educators coming out of our major universities uh, education system. Robert, Jen, obviously want to get your thoughts on this. Um, well, I was just going to say, I feel like there's two things at play. I mean, one is uh, the rising cost of tuition on our college campuses makes it an untenable situation for somebody who wants to go into education, particularly when they know that year after year uh, resources for teachers and the salaries for teachers are being held flat or even being cut. So you've got a situation where you, in order to get an advanced degree in education, are looking at somewhere between Fifty to one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars in student debt for a profession that you know, if you work in it for five years and happen to make over fifty grand, you're demonized. So I think that has something you know to do with the discouragement. And then, as Jorna said, um, you know, we treat teachers almost as criminals in this state, and we really, um, you know, uh, refuse to acknowledge the broader set of circumstances. Uh, that make it difficult to educate uh, children to the level that, that they all deserve, particularly in our rural communities and in our urban communities that are that's severely under-resourced. Um, and, and so, again, you have to look at a young person saying, should I go into tech fields? Should I go into um, law? Should I go uh, into business? Or should I go into education? And more and more young people are saying that education um, is not valued in the society, so therefore it's not a career that I want to pursue. So this is part and parcel of, uh, I think we need to put in a broader context, of the whole corporate education reform movement, which is which is to blame teachers for everything and attack them, hold them allegedly accountable, attack their pay and benefits, um, literally try to um, uh, de-skill the profession, uh, this is what has come for reform in education, and it has it's had dev absolutely devastating consequences. If you 
take your head out of education, think about another sector. Think of healthcare, for example. We have a lot of problems in healthcare. It's much too expensive. The outcomes are actually not very good in our society. No one says, let's go after those doctors. Let's cut their pay and let's hold them accountable and let's take them down a peg. But that's what we've said in education. And you have politicians like Governor Walker that have built their careers on attacking teachers, an absolutely vital profession. And the, re the results are catastrophic. It's not just the number of people going into teaching, though that is a huge thing. There are teachers, most teachers do not recommend others go into teaching because they, it is such a high-stress, low-reward profession right now, and that's certainly seeping down. But there's simply a, a huge amount of turnover and a lot of teachers not using their licenses at all, going into other things. Uh, because it, it's so intolerable. And it's partly the pay and benefits and the attack on, on any kind of job security, which is what we've seen in Wisconsin. It's also autonomy. You see, this whole test and punish regime doesn't really do anything to improve education it's, uh, whatsoever. It's not evidence-based, in fact, at all. But what it does do is it takes away all of the teachers' autonomy and then holds them accountable for things beyond their control, uh, like, like poverty, for example, like kids who are simply in such dire situations that they can't expect it to learn, to learn like the same way richer kids do. And, of course, those kids have bigger class size, less experienced teachers, fewer resources around them, and then we, and then we say it's their fault and it's the teacher's fault. We saw Senator Johnson uh, literally attacking kids in Milwaukee uh, for, for school performance just a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and that's, that's part and parcel of all of this. And so if we want to rebuild education, we need to rebuild it around what is at the heart of education, which is teachers. It is teachers, kids, and their parents, and that's what we need to focus on. And it, this is a, all a natural consequence of what we perpetrated in this country under the banner of reform, because reform in education hasn't meant reform, it's meant deform, it's meant destroying one of the great things we've created in this country, a universal free public education system. Robert, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, this, this, this idea of autonomy for, for a teacher, because, right, teachers, it's a profession, these are professionals, and when you completely remove one's autonomy, it, 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 it takes away a lot of, quite frankly, the skill and what's needed in order to succeed in your profession. And um, you look at the studies, the, some of the stuff we read uh, in preparation talked of uh, polls that NEA had done and other organizations really asking teachers, um, wh what is it? And it is really this autonomy. Certainly the pay and benefits are important, and, and Wisconsin is obviously the uh, ground zero for that attack, but nationally, and I think why you're seeing this over time is is that whole point of really going after educators and, and, and all this testing regime and tying down of how they spend their time and, um, you know, done in the name of trying to, quote, have standards, right, that really have done nothing but, quite frankly, drive down the quality uh, because you haven't really taken into consideration uh, that the work environment of, of the folks who actually do the labor. Um, it's, and, and, and so it, it's, it's interesting that it, wages, while certainly important, are nowhere near as, or I don't want to say not as important, but not a full enough explanation, right? We have this massive churn and turnover related to this lack of autonomy of a, and, and professionalization. It's a de-skilling, quite frankly, of teaching profession. Well, it's a, you know, Matt, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and I think it's easy for us to just focus on Governor Walker um, and Act 10, but I think we also have to understand the broader context of this, that education 
is a multi-billion dollar um, investment that we make as a country. And currently, less than 5% of that investment is privatized. So it's not just the demonization of teachers and the lowering of teacher quality, but it's really a systematic desire to undermine public education so that it can be turned into profit-making off of our children rather than an investment, a collective investment that we all make as society. And I think nowhere is there a better example of that than with Governor Walker's school takeover bill and County Executive Chris Abley's school takeover. You know, it, coming back this fall, not only are we as parents sending our kids back to school, but MPS is coming back to a full frontal assault led by the MMAC, by Governor Walker and by County Executive Abley to take away and strip local control and democracy away from our public schools. And so, you know, not only do we need to show up and walk our kids back to school, but we also need to show up to the fight that is brewing to protect MPS, to protect our schools, and to make sure that not one school is privatized. Um, and instead that we're really putting forth a bold vision for education that demands the resources that our schools and our children need. Robert? Yeah, I think what's going on in Milwaukee, which is going to be a huge controversy, it's going to be building now that the county executive is going to be given authority over the quote-unquote failing schools, that we don't have real measures of what failing is. We just say if, if there's relatively lower test scores, then the school is failing, not taking into account at all any kind of value added the teacher could or, or the school could be providing versus kids in much better off circumstances. It's amazing. It, 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 it claims to be evidence-based, but the opposite. There's absolutely no evidence that this sort of testing regime is going to lead to better education. It's just a, it, it, it's really, it, it's sort of like uh, quantification gone mad, and there's literally, in terms of testing, a huge testing industry to tap back into what Jen was saying about the profit-making, the attempt to really get in on public resources here. And so... Uh, chartering these off, putting them in charter schools, does not make schools better. In fact, the evidence is that charter schools do about as well or less well if you take into account that they cherry-pick their students and public schools cannot. And this is just not getting to the heart of the problem, which needs to be comprehensive. You need to look at poverty. You need to look at prenatal care. You need to look at early child education. You need to look at everything the child goes through in order to make it possible for that child to learn. And instead, we've, we, this whole concept of there being failed schools is absurd, and we need to get beyond it very quickly and understand the motives of the people who are doing this who don't want to work on, our, on, on, on larger, comprehensive uh, societal solutions, because those are harder. Those talk about actually taking on power. It's easy to kick around public institutions, to kick around teachers, even though it's a critical profession. It's a lot harder to take on the MMAC, which is all about rigging the economy against average people in the first place and taking away the ladders people used to have to get ahead and to, to pull themselves up and live the American dream. Well, and I, I think we just need to reiterate, again, we're blaming teachers for these failures. We're, we're not blaming these other institutions, and we're not blaming legislatures. We're blaming teachers who are educating kids. And we continue to see a sort of dumbing down then because of these shortages of proposals that would, would make it easier for teachers to um, start teaching at schools. You know, you only need a bachelor's degree. You don't actually have to have any experience or training to be a teacher. You know, we're going to continue to see that sort of thing popping up 
when, you know, in reverse, we continue to see more strict standards on testing and things to deem that our schools are, quote, failing, and then they can be charterized and privatized and cherry pick and, and, and not serve the populations that, frankly, they need to serve the most. There's a interesting number that was in um, in that research that came out this week. You know, ultimately, <clears throat> one of the things that we know is most critical in terms of success and achievement, if you just want to look and boil it down into numbers, is a student-teacher ratio. And for a long time, Wisconsin had put a lot of energy into the SAGE program, which was an effort to try to reduce class sizes. And we have clearly from this research taken huge steps backwards. In fact, Wisconsin, over this nine-year period, had its teacher ratio go up five times the national average, right? Look, I think this is a clarion call, these, this data that's coming out to re-inject into this conversation the role of educators, right, and try to get out of this old Act 10 debate about unions and things and, and start to have a conversation again about the role of educators, right, in, in, in creating first, first-rate education systems because, you know, there is no way we're going to have uh, a first-class 20 first century economy if, if we continue to have this struggle on, on the education front. So with that, we know it's a busy time of year back to school, but I think it's, it's important as you go back uh, and drop your kids off, thank those educators and support staff and everyone in these schools who we know are under tremendous uh, pressure, um, but they are critical. And, and we must say also this week, the other big news was Wisconsin students continue to do very well. Uh, the ACT test scores came out. We continue to be ranked second. I believe once upon a time we were number one, but we are now. We have been consistently behind Minnesota. Uh, Robert. As in everything else. As in, in everything our lives. else, I'm sure. Uh, finding ourselves a bit behind Minnesota. In yeah. fact, um, Robert, it uh, might be a, a good time to slightly transition. And why don't you tell us a little bit about where, why you guys are out on the left coast of uh, Wisconsin? It probably has a little something to do with Wisconsin and Minnesota. And we've entered lacrosse, and I'm surrounded by Minnesota license plates. Um, so, as folks know, uh, we're really in a situation now with a second Supreme Court decision where it, it's clear the Affordable Care Act is here to stay. It's not uh, a very potent trail for Republicans, despite Scott Walker's attempt to have his own health care plan and then try to turn, the, turn his campaign around with it, which has gotten him frankly, very little track and the apparently unbeatable Donald Trump. Uh, I like the, I like the uh, news stories that say Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump. That's now his official title. Uh, but Walker, the plan he put, the repeal and replace plan he put forward was just horrendous. And it particularly, even if you believe it would happen, which I don't think it would, um, the, the subsidies it has, which aren't funded because he gets rid of funding uh, for health care reform, um, are just a flat amount. They're not based on cost. And Wisconsin has much higher costs than uh, the rest of the country. We're fourth highest in the country in the individual market and very much higher than Minnesota, which has taken advantage of the Affordable Care Act and actually done a very good job uh, controlling health care hyperinflation. So we're going to be along the western border here, the west coast of Wisconsin, pointing out not only how bad things are right now because we're not moving beyond the debate over repeal of the health care reform and trying to deal with cost and take advantage of the tools provided by health care reform here in Wisconsin because of Scott Walker, but how if Scott Walker's plan was actually ever become law, which means Scott Walker is president, and he's doing those hundred things he's doing in the first day in office, he'd actually make it even worse. 
And so we're going to be highlighting that all along the Mississippi River here and then all the way up to the shores of Lake Superior into Lake Superior. Well, have fun. Drive safely. We hope uh, hope that goes well and hope the media definitely covers it. Um, I want to switch topics. There's some other news this week. That would be WEDEC, our uh, failed or I guess you could say discredited job jobs agency. And we found out this week that Reed Hall, the CEO of WEDEC, is stepping down. So yet more turnover, Jorna, at WEDEC. I know this place is like a revolving door. In fact, that's sort of the image I have in my head. And while they're in, they grab what they can and uh, go to Badger Games and get out. So Give money to their <laughs> give, friends. Give money to their friends. Uh, more dysfunction at WEDEC. Shocking. Um, but... Really, uh, if we pass up yet another opportunity that we have been handed to put some accountability into this organization, then shame on us. I mean, there there is a chance now to finally, well, there have been many chances that we have given up on time and time again. Um, but it would really be a shame, in my opinion, if we let this one slip through without ensuring that the next head of this dysfunctional organization, it takes the fun right out of dysfunctional, um, is not somebody who has some serious reforms in mind and would actually have a plan in place that had some accountability for the organization or for the businesses being funded. You know what I love about WEDEC? It's like the only workplace in the country where you can do, actually I guess CEOs get this a lot, but like you can totally fail at your job and be completely incompetent, but you don't get fired. You just, like, resign and go on to something bigger and better. It seems like such a great place for, like, our average, um, you know, wannabe run-of-the-mill CEOs. It's, it's a great training ground. So, Jen, I want to come right back at you. Uh, another topic. Wanted to see if you were able to catch Christian Snyder's opinion piece uh, in the Journal Sentinel. I know, I believe he's one of the one of the bloggers there. Actually, no, he gets a full opinion piece. But I know you write often at the uh, Journal Sentinel. Did you see Christian's piece this week where he suggested somehow, if we were to pay increase the minimum wage for food service workers, that this would mean we would receive worse service? Oh yeah, I mean, I thought he was just saying that how much he loves things. Um, no, he look. This is the new argument, and it's it's starting to replace the "you're going to harm the people you want to help the most" argument and the minimum wage workers are just teenagers argument because that those things through the function of actually increasing minimum wages across the country and then um, taking a snapshot and a study of their economies, those those have been really um, disproven, and so now they've moved on to this new um, attack line around the tip minimum wage. And so, for folks who don't know, the minimum wage has a two-tiered system. Um, it didn't always, but it, it it now has a two-tiered system for people who receive tips. Um, and it was a way, really, to um, undermine uh, this idea of a, a fair wage. And it's also um, one of the main causes of wage theft because. The law actually is that if you have a tipped worker like a server in a restaurant or a bartender, that that person still needs to be paid a minimum wage. So if they don't make that much in tips, then, you know, the employer will need to put in the rest in order to equivalent the minimum wage. But what happens is that employers uh, don't make that match. And so oftentimes these low-wage workers um, 
also are victims of wage theft. But anyway, Christian Schneider's point, sorry, to get back to that, seems to basically say that if we raise the minimum wage to 15, then, you know, tip workers aren't going to um, be getting tips anymore. And we see this in Seattle with, um, you know, Republican operatives writing mean and nasty notes on, on receipts for waitresses and waiters saying that they're not tipping them because Seattle raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour. Um, not to mind the fact that currently <laughs> uh, the wage is not $15 an hour because it's on a scaled and a tiered um, increase. So I think look, the, the reality is, is, is in other countries they actually don't tip waiters and waitresses because they make sure those people make a living wage. Like when I was in Europe, it was, uh, it was very shocking not to have to tip and even uh, on top of whatever the meal cost, which, you know, was uh, honestly not that expensive, I would have tips because that was our natural tendency. And so I think anybody who says that they're not going to tip a waitress simply because um, the minimum wage was increased um, is pretty much just a jerk <laughs> who doesn't have a clue how hard people work to serve them and doesn't have any respect for the people who are serving them. Jen, was there very poor service in Europe, as Christian Snyder predicts, if there's no tipping? Absolutely not. I mean, absolutely not. And even, I mean, here's the, you're on the border of western Wisconsin, so one of the things that Minnesota did when they raised their minimum wage, and granted, they only raised it to $9, but I hear there's a, a big campaign to change that and to increase that amount. Um, but when they raised their minimum wage, they got rid of the tip credit, which, you know, many economists and, and many activists have been trying to do for, for um, years. Um, but, you know, in Applebee's on the, on the border of Superior and Duluth um, is going to have high-level service. And, and obviously the folks working on the Duluth side are, you know, going to be happier at work, going to be less stressed out at work, going to be more committed to keeping that job because they recognize that their labor is being valued. Well, um my best friend is a server at a local Milwaukee establishment, and I would love for her to take on Christian Snyder about this premise that uh, somehow her service is going to go down. You know, she's she is over the age of 40 supporting her two children on this job, and you know what? She works really, really hard, and the whole premise that her service is connected to her tips, um, you know, that her service would go down is, is ludicrous. And she needs to be paid a living wage for this because it's such a spotty industry in general, right? I mean, she can make $15 a night in tips or she can make, you know, $150 a night in tips. And it's just sort of the, the cyclical nature of the restaurant business and the serving industry. So, um, God, I would love to have her and Christian face off. She's a feisty one. Yeah, look, this guy's written some seri serious Jack Weasel uh, kind of uh, <laughs> articles. This is up there. I'm sorry. I, this is ridiculous. Right, first of all, he starts out by saying how wonderful waiters are and all this heaping of praise and how hard a job it is. And then to essentially say, yeah, but if you give these people a decent living wage, they'll completely slack jaw themselves and give you lousy service. It's absurd. And he decries the loss, the jeopardy of the tipping culture. The tipping culture is crap, right, in me on many levels. And in, in quite frankly, as Jen said, you can continue to tip people if they provide outstanding service, right? There, that's a, it's a gratuity. It's a nice thing to do. But to know that each worker is going to make a base living wage 
is absolutely critical. I, this, I just wanted to bring this up because, of course, it's a, as you mentioned, Jen, it's a new kind of uh, front on this, uh, on the effort to try to raise wages that's ostensibly, uh, you, you said in the past, in the name of the worker, this one is just an attack somehow on, on uh, low-wage workers that they will uh, do lousy service. I, it's just, it's ridiculous. And, uh, of course, I uh, want to point out Senator Feingold, as Christian used this as an opportunity to take a slap at Feingold, he should be praised for actually uh, stepping up and saying that he'll create a pathway to make sure that we can get to $15 an hour. He actually announced that, Matt, you're being a little uh, uh, shy. And he actually announced this in actions of that, so you all got the scoop, first-hand scoop. Yeah, well, he may have announced it there, but look, we know this is happening because there's lots of pressure. Workers have gotten together, organized, and are making themselves... Uh, seen and heard for the first time in years. So uh, uh, kudos to all the work. But uh, anyways, Robert, I know you were about to say something. Yeah, and, and I was going to say in Jobs Now has done a great job creating that, that environment where Russ Feingold would step forward and, and uh, make that pledge. So I was just going to say that, not that we want to focus too much on Christian Schneider, but uh, it was also a fact-free zone as usual. There was speculation about, gee, there are waiters and waitresses that make like $100 an hour, da-da-da. Well, you, of course, saw no stats on what they make or them making less in higher minimum wage states because if they had them, if you had them, we would have used them. So it's the usual right-wing kind of argument by anecdote and by tortured common-sense reasoning uh, without any facts or evidence to support it whatsoever because generally <laughs> their arguments are counterfactual. By the way, um, now that everything is you know largely online and we can pay for service, how about we uh, put him on two twenty five an hour, and I'll tip based on the quality of his articles. Yes. Yeah. One other quick point about this is just that you know the majority of the um, folks who are earning the two thirty three an hour at the tip minimum wage here in Wisconsin are women, and you know I was a server in a in a restaurant. Um, in, in a couple of different restaurants, and I talk to other women who are servers all the time, and one of the things that they experience quite frequently, in fact, uh, almost daily in their job is sexual harassment. And I've talked to women who have, you know, really um, been forced to make the decision to let co certain comments go or not to respond to certain things or not to hold customers accountable because they are relying on getting a good tip. And, you know, this is... Uh, Yet another way, I think that you know, women do not have access to full equality because the labor that we tend to primarily do is is completely undervalued and at the discretion of um, the person we're serving. But if you go, you know, to a, re a retail store, if you go um, to you know industries where men's labor occurs, you know, we're not saying, well, if you can decide whether or not you want to pay that man who does that work. Might be a good idea, Matt, to uh, tip uh, to have tipped Wheat Reed Hall based on say performance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the outgoing Wheat Act chair, who we will not have to kick around anymore. Though uh, Walker's getting lots of questions on the campaign trail about Wheat Act, and Donald Trump continues to beat him up on his economic performance, uh, which is pretty funny. In fact. What we need to remember about WEDEC, going back to that, is is that it's not about who the CEO is. I don't care if the apparently guest businessman in the history of America, Donald Trump, was head of WEDEC. It would still fail. That's a flawed idea. Absolutely. So with that, Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I...
planned nothing, Matt. I've been very bad on the Matt scale because we're getting back late at night Friday from this tour. And so we'll see sleep at the very least. Hopefully something fun will be figured out. I do know that there is a uh, there's a pub tour in Bayview, an historical one, just that goes to pubs that have historical architecture or, or related history in some way. So maybe I'll get to that. So all of Bayview. Yeah. Well, thank you for your begrudging furlough. Jen, what are you doing this weekend? I am driving down to the Badger game in Texas. Woohoo! Family, we're loading up in a 15-passenger van. Me, me, my parents, my brother and his wife and, and their two children and my brother's mother-in-law. Um, and so we're heading down to see the Badgers play. We're going to stop in New Orleans and in Memphis, and it's just going to be a good old time. So finally going on a vacation. Well, hopefully the Badgers can slay uh, the Southeast Conference where they, as we know, play professional football. So, um, well, you have a great trip with your family, and I assume we will not have you next week for, for our uh, Labor Day special because you'll be enjoying your vacation. So that's great. Jorna? Well, despite the fact that everybody's favorite horse, George, George, is still broken and will be for the next nine or ten months, um, I am going down with my barn to a horse show to hang out and braid horses and, you know, stand around in the dust and rain and sun, which is my idea of fun. Well, that sounds great. I'm actually... Uh it's a light uh, racing weekend for us. We're doing a Supermoto uh, charity race up in uh, Washington County on Saturday afternoon. But then sa- Saturday night, I'm going out with Bonnie. We're going to a floor model show. Dave Summerscales and Jeff Calson and the whole floor model crew will be playing at the Bremen Cafe in River West. So I'm going to go on a date night with Bonnie. I actually successfully obtained my motorcycle license, so we'll be uh, driving uh, on the road legally, uh, that's always good. And uh, then a Sunday, I get to do some work around the house. Woohoo! Good times. So, anyways, everyone, get your kids back to school on Monday. Don't forget, don't pull an Epps Addison. It's you got to get your kids to school on Monday. Come on, unless of course you're going on vacation. So, Jen, safe travels to you, and we'll see you upon your return. And we hope everybody uh, has a good uh, weekend here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.